Good morning, Moore Tribe. We're so glad you could join us for our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. We miss you all and pray blessings over you and your families. We will be posting more on all of our social media and would love for you to follow, watch, and comment to keep us all connected. Lastly, we want to ask you to please give online to support your church. We couldn't do any of this without you. We appreciate your support, your prayers, and the time you've taken to be with us right now. Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, hope you're having a great day wherever you are, and maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the evening. That's the beauty of this. You're watching it whenever you have time to watch it, but I appreciate you joining us, and thank you for tuning in. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we just come to you today and we just praise you, Lord, for uh, all your goodness. We praise you for your wisdom. We praise you for uh, just how you get involved in our life. We praise you, Lord, because you are always good and you only give good gifts. God, we praise you because you've brought healing to so many in our congregation that have been sick. Even these three that have had this uh, virus, you've brought them through, God, and we just praise you for that. Father, right now I'd like to intercede for those in our church that are under stress or distress or even a little bit depressed. And I pray encouragement, God, that your spirit would be there with them and bring encouragement to their heart, to their life. And Father, if there's any more that are sick out there, and there's, I know there's several, God, that are pending uh, results from some of these tests, I just pray healing over their body, God, and that this virus is stopped and it doesn't advance anymore. And then, Lord, I just pray that you would give revelation from your word this morning as I teach your word, God, that your words would be in my mouth, that your thoughts would be my thoughts, that you would speak, God, and that you would, you would do what only you can do, and that is to bring your spiritual touch to this time, God, through your word. And we pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, this is week five, and we've been doing this, and... If you're like me, you were hoping that it would be done by now, but it's not. And uh, it kind of seems to keep going on and on. So my question is this morning, how are you doing? I mean, how are you doing in the midst of all this trial? How are you doing and how are you feeling as this thing drags on a little bit? I know it can be so stressful and uh some of you have kids at home, you know, and there's no school and the kids are home, you're trying to figure out childcare. Some of you now have to homeschool, you've never done that before, and it could be stressful. I know that. And so the question's legit, how are you, how are you doing? Uh, I hope that you're doing well because God is there in your home. It also can be stressful because of finances, and I know that many have lost their jobs and some have lost hours, and, you know, we certainly pray for you and pray that you'll find uh, uh, gainful employment. And I do thank God that these stimulus checks have begun to come out, and that is helpful to our economy, but it's certainly not the answer to it all. The biggest question of all to me is, when will it end? And when will life get back to normal? And here's the answer. No one knows except the Lord. God is the only one that knows. And God's answer to us, God's words to us, over the past few weeks have been to trust him to rest in his provision and in his promises, and even to find joy 
in the midst of this trial because we know it's going to work to our good. But you know, if you're human, and we all are, it sometimes can be a little elusive to find joy and rest and even faith sometimes in the midst of trial when it drags on. And so that's why we've been going to the book of James. We've been going into God's Word because we are looking for wisdom. Why the book of James? Well, because James is no stranger to trial, especially long-term trial. This book of James, this little book, five chapters that he, he wrote in, and put in here, he wrote that in 49 AD. Now, if you think about that, that's just a few short years after the death and resurrection of our Lord. James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was the half-brother of our Lord and a very influential leader in the early church. And he wrote this little book in 49 because they were in the middle of intense persecution. And if, you're, if you know about the Bible, you'll know that that intense persecution began in Acts 7 when Stephen was stoned. Stephen was the first uh, century. He was actually one of the first deacons in the church. He was also full of the Holy Spirit and fire, and he preached a sermon that the religious people didn't like. And they stoned him. And we know that one person standing there while they stoned him was Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee, and he was a zealous Pharisee. And at the stoning of Stephen, a persecution broke out against the early church, and Saul was the leader of that persecution. He was going into homes of Jews that had converted to Christianity, and he was dragging them to prison and, and trying to get them to renounce their faith. And if they didn't, many of them were martyred. This was the, this was the atmosphere, this was the time that James wrote this little book in 49 AD. And that's why he wrote it, and God had him write it, is to put it in here for all the years that followed, all the Christians, all the children of God that would go through trial, especially trials that seemed to go on and on. I mean, James, he had, I don't think he ever lived a Christian, any time in his Christian life that he was not persecuted. And he ended up dying in AD 62, just 13 short years after he wrote this book, because he would not renounce his faith. And the religious leaders of that day threw him off a roof. He lived. And instead of them seeing it as a miracle, which many times religious people won't admit miracles, they went ahead and stoned him and killed him. So he was martyred in AD 62. But the words that he recorded here through the leading of the Holy Spirit have been life-giving words to generations of Christians that have gone through trial. And it's life-giving words to us because he was no stranger to this, this intense trial, this intense trial that goes on and on. And James' conclusion was that we could try to consider it all joy, that we would know that God's going to work this to our good. And then he goes on and he says, and what you need most of all to get through a time of trial is God's wisdom. James 1, 5 through 8, we read it last week, I'll read it again this week. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one that doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. He said it's possible for us in the midst of trial to be blown and tossed by the wind. And now I don't know about you, but I think there's been a lot of 
tossing by the wind. And what that means is the wind blows this way, and we go this way, and it blows this way, and we go this way. It's like uh, things change every hour. And that's the way it's been. This funny official corona guidelines, this is uh, coronavirus guidelines, and it's a, it's a funny deal. It, it, it says this. You can't leave your house for any reason, but if you have to, you can. Masks are not helpful, but may prove to be helpful. Masks are mandatory. Stores are closed, except the ones that are open. And there's no shortage of groceries in the supermarket, but there's many things that are missing from the shelves. Gloves won't help, but they can be helpful. You will have symptoms when you're sick, but you can get sick without symptoms. You can have symptoms without being sick, and you be, can be contagious without having symptoms. And I hope this is clear to you. No, this is a lot of the reason that we're being tossed by the wind. I mean, information now coming out is just like it changes hourly. And, and there's no one that really knows what's going on or when it's all going to end, except the Lord. And right now, we need God's wisdom. We don't need the wisdom of man because man doesn't have the answer. We're in a situation now where the only answer lies with our Heavenly Father. And so we go to Him to gain wisdom. Father, we need Your wisdom. We, know, we need to know what to do and how to do it. And we know, God, that only You know, and so we humbly come to You and we ask. And He said that He would give without, without finding fault. He would, just, he would give generously. But then He gives this little bit of a stipulation. He says, but we must believe and we cannot doubt. And last week we looked at what does he want us to believe? What does he want us not to doubt? And we looked at verse 17 and we knew that what he was saying is you're never to doubt that God is good. God's good. He's always good. And he gives good gifts to his children. That's the kind of God he is. And he doesn't want us to ever doubt that. So when we look at what the way the world is today, when we look at everything that's going on, we can just rest assured that this is not from God because this is not a good and perfect gift. God is good and he gives good gifts to his children. But that's not the only thing he wants us to believe. That's not the only place that he wants us to not have doubt. If we go on into verse 18, we read another thing that he wants us to nail down. As children of God, we're to nail down. And that is this. In James 1.18, God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Now, stop right there. Of course he chose when we were born on the earth. We have been born for such a time as this. It's no accident that we've been physically born to live in this generation. We have something to contribute. God's put us here for a reason. Every single one of us. But he's not talking about physical birth here. He's talking about spiritual birth. That it was God that chose us to be his spiritual children. He chose us to birth us by His true Word. His Word, not our words. Some people say that salvation is dependent upon what your words are, but God says it's His true Word that truly births us into the Spirit. So He's chosen us to be His children. And now let's look, go back to the verse and read the last half. And we, out of all creation, become or became His prized possession. God's choice was for us to become his prized possession. 
He wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're His. And it's not contingent upon our performance. It's not contingent upon what we've done or not do. It's contingent upon His choice. God chose me. He took me to be His prized possession. And then Jesus said this in John 15, 15 and 16. Almost exactly the same thing that James said. Let's start in verse 16 at the end there. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus did the choosing. He said, you know, it wasn't like people say, hey, if you found Jesus. No, it's more like, has Jesus found you? Because if, if there's anyone that's ever been born from above, if anyone's ever known God, it's because God has chosen them. God has put his hand on them. This is great news. This means that if, if anybody out there feels a calling from God to be God's, if there's a drawing inside of your heart to belong to God, you can rest assured that that's God calling you. And if God's calling you, He wants you. And all you have to do is simply open your heart and say, yes, God, I want you too. And that's it. It's His choice. Jesus said it in verse 16. You don't choose me, I choose you. And then back up to verse 15 and let him say what that means. It says, I don't call you servants any longer, for the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. I've called you my friends, because I've revealed to you everything I've heard from the Father. This is where wisdom comes from. This is why we must know these things and not doubt and believe. It's because for wisdom to come down from God, we have to know that He's good. And we have to expect wisdom that's good. And then we have to know that He has chosen us to be His children. And that it is because of that special relationship that is His doing that He no longer calls us servants. See, He's not looking for servants. A lot of people think, well, I'm just serving God. Well, God's really not looking for servants. He doesn't need minions. He's got angels all over heaven to do His bidding. When he calls us, he wants us to be in a special relationship. He wants us to be his friend. And as a friend, I don't know if you know this, but the closer you are to friends, the more they know about you. And Jesus is inviting us to the inner circle to know him. He wants to give us privileged information, things that have only been shared between he and his father. That's wisdom from on high. We're privy to the wisdom of God. We're privy to God's plans. We're privy to God's thoughts. That's what it says in Corinthians. We can have the mind of God. We can have the mind of Christ. That's outstanding. But do we believe it? That's the question. Because James says it's, it's necessary for us to nail this down to really believe it. And Jesus said these words, it's according to our faith that things will be done for us. According to your faith, let it be to you. And Jesus talked about no faith. He talked about little faith. He talked about great faith. He said there's measures of faith. So the question is, do we believe what God's Word says about us? Because it's so important in this time of trial, as it goes on, that we do believe it. And that we do know that we are privy to God's plan because He's the only one that knows what's going on in all this stuff. I mean, difficult times come. And I think that most children of God want to stand up and say, 
stop the virus, you know, and, uh, and the, the virus will stop. And they get a little confused when God doesn't stop the virus. But that's, I've, I've read this thing so many times, and I just don't see when difficult times come that God does things that way. I don't know why he doesn't, but he doesn't seem to. I see in the time of Moses, when Moses was in the wilderness with the children of Israel, and they had a big plague come into their camp, it killed 70,000 Israelites. 70,000. And Moses was pleading to God, God, we need your help. And what did he do? He said, Moses, I want you to fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and hold it up, and everyone that looks at that bronze serpent that's on that pole will be cured. And guess what? That's what he did. It was an act of faith. God gave him wisdom for the hour to know what to do, and when he did it, it brought healing to their camp. He didn't, he didn't stop the plague. He just gave a way through it. It was wisdom. Knowing what to do, and knowing when to do it, and how to do it. Another time when Elijah, who was a great man of God, I mean, so powerful of a man of God, he prayed, and one time it didn't rain for like three and a half years. He was powerful. But a famine came in the land. And Elijah, he didn't stand up and say, God, stop the famine. He just went to God and said, God, you know, there's a scarcity of food. There's a scarcity of water. And God said, okay, I'm going to send you to a widow's house, and you follow my instructions, and it will make provision for you and her. That's the way God does things. Difficult times come upon us. Difficult times come on the earth. And instead of God stopping the difficult time like we think he should, he gives us a way through it. Just like he did Noah and the ark. But my favorite one of all of them in the Bible is the one about Jesus and Joseph. I mean, God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. We know the Holy Spirit was Jesus' spiritual father, but Joseph was the earthly father. And Joseph, he, he was chosen by God to do this. Uh, Joseph just loved Mary. He was engaged to her, and then she comes up pregnant when he was going to put her away privately. God said, no, marry her. And so he married her, and then they had this child, and, and he has this child. And now Joseph didn't ask for any of this. He was just being obedient to God, and he found himself in a very intense trial that the king, Herod, was actually trying to kill his God-given son, Jesus. Matthew 2.13 says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to try to search for the child to kill him. That's a pretty intense time of trial. And Joseph didn't know what to do. God spoke to him. Angel came to him, told him what to do. Joseph got up, took, took the child, took Mary. They went to Egypt, and Jesus was safe. I just want to say this. God chose us to be his children. And when he does that, he takes responsibility for us as his children. What kind of a father would it be that would go and adopt a child and then leave him on his own to fend for himself? Not much of a father at all. Well, God's not that kind of father. He's brought you into his family by his own choice. He's taken responsibility. He's taken you to raise, so to speak. He's taken you to provide for you and to take good care of you. And one of the ways he takes care of his children is not by giving them everything they want. He takes care of us by giving us his wisdom. He's a good father. He passes his wisdom on. 
He passes his wisdom on in many ways. Sometimes he speaks it through an angel. Sometimes he speaks it through his Holy Spirit. And sometimes he speaks it through his word. Many times he speaks it through his word. I mean, the funny thing about Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, was that he didn't read in the Bible. Joseph was probably not a Bible scholar. We know he was a carpenter. And he, he, was, he, was, he didn't read the Bible. He didn't really know the Bible that well, probably, the Old Testament. And so God didn't tell him what to do through the Bible, but you know that he could have? Because everything that God told Joseph to do, go to Egypt, come back from Egypt, go to Nazareth, go to Bethlehem, all of those things were prophesied in the Old Testament, and he could have read his story if he would have been a Bible scholar, but he wasn't. You see, that's great encouragement to me, because many people, they don't know God's Word at all. And they come up in a time like this, and they've not... They've not really been prepared in God's Word, but that doesn't mean God can't speak to you. It's not just that God speaks to people through the Bible only. That's not true. He speaks to us in many ways, but it is always confirmed in the Bible. That's great. That's great. He tells us what to do, and he uses his Word to do it. And James knew that. One of the things James said in James 1.25 is, if you look carefully... Which means looking carefully means to study into the perfect law that sets you free. You will do what it says and don't forget what you've heard. Then God will bless you for doing it. Did you read that? Knowing God's word, hearing his wisdom, and then doing it will set us free. Free from what? Well, free from stress, free from fear, free from worry. Why? Because we know God's got this thing. His wisdom is in our heart. We know he's got a plan to see us through. But we must look at God's word carefully and know that it comes to bring us freedom. A lot of people study God's word and they're not free. In fact, there's a lot of people who study God's word and they get more in bondage than ever. It's because they don't have that knowledge that God is good and that you're his child and that he has given his word for you, not to land on you, Jesus said that the, that the Sabbath was given for man, not the man for the Sabbath. That the Word of God is to set us free. It's for us. It's to produce peace and freedom, even patience in the time of trial. I mean, many study His Word, and they don't get free. Why? Well, it's simple. In Psalms, He gives us this simple verse. His Word is a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. His Word, or His wisdom. It's a lamp for our feet, light for our path. Well, God can light the path, but we have to walk down the lighted path. Just because God gives wisdom or God gives us a word doesn't mean that it's going to come. We possess the word by faith. Like Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be unto you. We must walk down the path that he lights. Rick Warren, I love his statement here. He says, we only really believe the parts of the Bible that we obey. That's so true. You know, it's like, no, I know the Bible and I believe it cover to cover, but the deal is you really only believe what you obey. You know, what you really believe is what you do. You know, the reason I think this season is so difficult, the reason I think this season seems to be so stressful is because we don't know what the future holds. And I think sometimes our stress is compounded because we're borrowing tomorrow's troubles. One of the p 
pieces of wisdom that God spoke through his word through Jesus in Matthew 6 was this. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. You see, it's the wisdom of God that we live day by day. That we don't go borrow in trouble, we don't look into the future and what if, what if, what if. That we just live for today and we let God bring us wisdom for today. Because he's going to give you whatever you need for today. But he doesn't give tomorrow's grace today. He gives tomorrow's grace tomorrow. He gives tomorrow's provision tomorrow. That's the way it's always been with God. We're not to borrow tomorrow's troubles. We're not to do the what-ifs. We're to stand firm in what God's Word says. You know, whenever I start feeling a temptation to be stressed or worried, when I feel a temptation to doubt or have a lack of faith, I just start reminding myself, and this is what I do with myself all the time, I start reminding myself of all of God's miracles that He's done in my life. <laughs> a miracle, here's the definition of a miracle. It's when God intervenes in our life. Anytime God touches our life, I don't care how small you think it is, when God touches your life, it's a miracle. It's divine intervention. And I can't tell you how many times in the 44 years that I've walked with God that he's touched my life with a miracle. Money miracles. I mean, personally, money miracles. I, I don't know how many times I've been up against a wall financially over in the 44 years and God's come through for me. Sometimes it's not on my timetable, but it's always right on time. God knows how to take care of his children. He's always done it for me. And the church, too. There's been times financially we didn't know how we would make it from month to month. And every single time God intervenes and brings a miracle. All the times God's healed my body of things that have gone wrong with me. All the times God's kept us from accidents. I don't know how many times Wendy and I have been driving down the road and we'd say, man, if we'd have just been three minutes earlier, we could have been in the middle of that. But God protects us. He protects us from all kinds of dangerous situations and, and bad decisions. So many times His Spirit is just speaking to us, don't go down that path or don't do that transaction or don't do that. He saved us so many times. There's so many miracles and I even remember, and I think it's the most memorable to me of all, all the times that I did the wrong thing. Sometimes I just made a mistake, you know, wasn't thinking or I was careless. But there's been times in my life when I've purposely done the wrong thing. And God has worked a miracle in my life to make something that was very wrong into something that turned out to be very good. Only God's miraculous power can take a very bad thing and make it into something that's a lot better. I'll just say this, and this is me personally, and I don't know how you feel, but me personally, I, I would be embarrassed to stop trusting God in a difficult time like what we're going through. I would be embarrassed to stand before God someday and say, hey God, ask me, why were you so stressed? Why were you so worried? And me to say, well, I just didn't know if you'd come through. You know, God is faithful. 44 years I've walked with God, and He's always been faithful. And I don't care what you're going through, He's got an answer. But He says in His Word, 
If you ask, he will answer. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the doors, even if they've been locked for years, will open. But here's the other side of that. If he answers, you're responsible to do something with what he says. If you seek and you find, then you're responsible to do something with what you found, the wisdom that you found. And if he opens a door, we're certainly responsible to walk through it. Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want you to go back up to that, have it underlined there, though you are evil. You know, that's a pretty broad general statement that God makes about all us fathers here on earth. But the truth is, compared to God, we are evil. God is the best father. And I know that even me, being a human father, if my kids ask me for something and they need it, I'm going to do everything in my power to get it, to provide it for them. That's the way God's created my heart. Now, God's saying, compare yourself with me. I'm the Heavenly Father. And if you ask for something, I'm going to give you what you need. But notice what he says he'll give us. How much more will the Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I thought he was talking about giving a fish and giving an egg. And now he says, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. Because let me just say this. <laughs> God's Spirit is much more valuable than the fish or the egg. You may have need for $10,000, but God's Holy Spirit is much more valuable than for God just to give you $10,000. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that speaks his wisdom to us and lets you know what to do in your time of trial and in your time of need. We're commanded to seek, ask, and knock through prayer. It's a time to meditate and pray and be in God's Word. And it's a time for us to expect God to speak good things to us because He's a good Father. Because we are His special possession. And He does care a great deal for each one of us. So in closing today, I want to pray a prayer of faith for everybody that's watching. And this may be awkward to you, you're not in church, but you're at home. But whatever it takes for you to concentrate on the Lord and to get in a place where you can receive from God, I'm going to ask you to do that. Like, if it put your hands out like this, or uh, maybe close your eyes and, and just focus on the Lord. Whatever it is, I just ask you to get in that position. And I'm going to pray that the Father would give His Holy Spirit to you right now. And so God, we, your children, by your choice, your special possession, God, we come to you today and we say, Lord, we're asking for your Holy Spirit. We're asking for your wisdom. We ask to be baptized in your Spirit, God, right now. And Father, we believe that we receive. Even now, I know that many are feeling your presence. 
I know even now that many are hearing you speak. And I ask God that this will be a very, very, very real moment for those people that are out there today. We thank you, God, that you've not left us alone. And we thank you, God, that you care for us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. And before we go to today, I, I just want to speak a couple of practical things to you that could maybe help you uh, during this time uh, that you're feeling so stressed and distressed. Um, I know you want information. I know everybody you know, wants it every day. But as I read earlier, some of that goofy information that comes out and it so contradicts itself every hour, I, I just want to tell you this. Get your information through prayer instead of turning on the TV every day, all day, uh, listening to that stuff all day. Let me just say this. God's the only one that knows what's going on, so there's no reason for you to sit and listen to men talk back and forth, talk, argue. What, it, it doesn't matter. Nobody really knows. God knows. Go to prayer. Ask for the Spirit of God. Ask for His wisdom. He will guide you. And He's the only one that really knows what's going on. So get your information from the Lord. The next practical thing I want to say, and this is so important, church, is I just want us to stay connected. Um, I know we can't meet corporately and, and together physically, but we can certainly meet uh, over the Internet and electronically virtu in virtual uh, land, you know, out there. So I just want to tell you to make an effort to stay connected to the people of the church. I Simply at the beginning of all this, I asked the staff to pray every day and write down names of people that they were uh, that God would bring to their mind. And then to call or check, email, text, call, whatever, uh, to check on those folks and just see how they're doing. I'm encouraging you, church, to do the same thing. And it's not just the leaders, the staff, the, even the elders in the church that are called to do that. It's, it's each other. And I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 10 just how important it is to God. And before I read this, I, wanna, I want you to notice how many times it says us and we in this Short few verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people have done, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Just a charge from God that it's our responsibility to be proactive, to stay connected. It's important that we call one another, that we, that we love one another, and that we encourage one another, and that we pray for one another. Uh, this is a time for us to spend our spare time uh, in meditation, in prayer, in an intercession uh, for each other and for our earth. Uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. I love you, and I miss you all terribly. Um, God bless. so excited to worship with you guys. Um, we miss you so much, um, but we can't wait to get into worship with you this morning. And um, there, there's been a psalm that the Lord's put on my heart for weeks, and I just want to read it over us um, before we start. It's Psalms 24, and it says, The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein belong to the Lord. He has founded it upon the water. 
can stand in his holy place. He who has a clean hands, clean hands and a pure heart. You will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness and the righteousness of God for your salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, the generation that will seek his face. So lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. So God, we come to you right now, and we say, come on in. Come on into our hearts, come on into our minds, come on into our homes. Lord, I pray right now that you would enter in and flood in joy and peace and a calm to our hearts and our minds and our families. Lord, I pray that you would just reach into each home right now, God, and that worship would just dwell, worship would just come out of each heart, Lord, that families would be worshiping you together. Lord, I pray that in every moment that we would would find your joy. We would hear you speaking to us and the Holy Spirit just begin to rise up in your people, God. Let talents and dreams, visions, voices, words, but I pray that inspiration just breathes on us this morning, God, straight from your spirit. As we worship you, Lord, I just pray that you would bless each person that, that worships together, Lord, that you would just put your hand upon them and lift off any heaviness right now.
This song has always reminded me of wine. <laughs> Every, ever since I first heard this song, you keep on getting better. I just, I kept thinking it's like wine, you know? Just, you get better and better with age and time. And God, that's you. God, you just get better and better with time. As we grow and God, you just get better. You keep on getting better. And then I just, in this time that we've been stuck at home, <laughs> God keeps giving me the, the picture of wine, grapes being pressed into wine. I know that I feel that. And so I just want to pray over the body of Christ that we would be pressed and that a new wine and a new sound and a new look and a new way to love people and a new way to preach and a new way to connect would come out of all of it. Let us be joyful. Let's, let us count it all joy. All these trials and the pressing. Let us count it joy. God, teach us what that means. What does that mean? What does it feel like? I think it feels like strength. I think it feels like laughter times that we don't even know why we why we're laughing <laughs> why we feel strong but God let us let us be strong Bursting forth 